Hi, this is Lori, and welcome to my podcast. Tonight, we'll be going through a very serious story and one of the most prominent told in the Gospels, the crucifixion. So join us as we teach tonight at Legacy and study not only the trial, but the crucifixion of Jesus. Good evening, brothers and sisters. Um, three times in a row, there's a lot of me, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I guess, please applause as much as you can. Thank you. Thank you. Um, actually, Karen was able to swap with me. I'm going to be out of town next week. Um, I'm going to be in, uh, in the Adriatic coast on a cruise with some friends, and we're going to do, yeah, because you think cruise, right? Yeah. My friends all do um, triathlons and crazy things, and so we are doing mountain biking down Mount Etna, the volcano, on day one. Day two, we are doing uh, four-by-fours around the island of Malta. Um, you can see a cathedral. Nope, we're riding four by fours. And then uh, a couple days later in Croatia, we are swimming, biking, and paddling for the day. Um, so I, I'm hoping to come back thinner and fitter uh, than when I left. I don't know if I can keep up with these guys. So, so Karen was kind enough to, to swap places with me because I'll be um, doing crazy things next week <clears throat> with some friends of my work. Actually, some friends of my work. So. Uh, I hope to eat a lot of pasta and gelato while I'm there, but, uh, other than the uh, adventure sports. So it's not what you think of on a cruise, but my friends are crazy. So, so brothers and sisters, it's a lot of me, so I apologize for that because I only have so many thoughts, and since so back to back, I mean it's three times in seven days, you realize that, right? I do because I don't have that much more to say on some of these topics, um, and you guys, I love study group. Can I just be totally honest? Present. Okay, totally honest. No. They're like, yeah, can I be honest now? I like to do what I like to do. In study group, I feel like I can do whatever I want to do because it's study group. So, so I appreciate you guys indulging me in my crazy topics. So um, any questions, thoughts, comments from the last couple weeks? So we have done, we're at the last part of the mortal ministry of Jesus. So we've gone through the uh, sacrifice and the atonement in Gethsemane, and then we spent time in there, and then we're heading to the crucifixion today. So heavy topics, somber topics, and not a lot of levity or lightness in those topics uh, as is appropriate for such a sacred topic. But any thoughts or questions, takeaways, anything that's resonated with you guys? Yeah. The Savior talks about uh, he, he is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and also he, he is in his apostles. And when the use of they are in each other, it seems to be a little strange. First of all, I, it, it, made, it made, was it odd? It was there, and then we lost it. It may be uh, It may be that uh, that is, I, I wonder sometimes if that is possibly the source of some of the confusion that the, the uh, uh, people in about 300 A.D. had and, and the, calling the father and the son not did, they're calling the father and the son uh, the same. Yeah. You can't divide them and yeah. so forth. Yeah. But even so, ignoring that possibility, um, I'm not sure what I couldn't uh, quite understand what they were, they were meaning. I had my I had my interpretation, okay. but that seemed the most strange thing to talk that way. It is a, a unique phrase, right? <clears throat> so I think we see a lot of that in um, first and second century Christianity where, you know, there's a famous scripture in Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema, and that means to hear, or hear and obey is the verb in Hebrew, the Shema, and, it, and it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And, 
and the word for one there is one of many, right? Is, is one. Um, but that idea, as well as first century Christianity, kind of peek out here for a minute, um, is, is common where we get this idea of a trinity. It's one God with three manifestations, um, where we believe in a Godhead, right? Three separate beings. But I think to answer the idea or the question is, you know, Christ is one with the Father, right? They have one will. He would never disobey. His will was the same. And then he's saying, and in the original part of the story, the apostles were not one, right? They were learning. And then later they become closer and more obedient and understanding with the Spirit where they become one. And that invitation is to all of us. We can be close to God. We can be one with him in understanding with the Spirit and will um, and not disobedient children. And so the invitation is there rather than we're not one in body. Right, we're one uh, family. We're one ideal. Um, so I think that's where that comes from. Yeah, uh, we're in a sweater. It's like 100 degrees outside, man. Just, just gonna check on you. Man. Short on this, also, it, it's it's unique in the prospect that we're one, but we still maintain our own individuality. Yeah. And I'm sure that. The more we understood about Christ and the more we begin to understand about our Father in Heaven, they still have their own individual characteristics and character. Yeah. I'm sure in a lot of ways. And and so their identity remains the same, but it's just their ideals are, are the same. Yeah, I want good good idea. Uh, Grant has a thought and then um, get it. Just an experience we had uh, when my brother-in-law was a 70 and we were down here one Sunday or one Thursday before a conference and he was at that meeting in Salt Lake Temple and we were waiting him for supper and he didn't come and he didn't come. When we finally did come, he just stood in the doorway and his wife said, what's wrong? And he said, the gospel's true. And he said, yes, we know that. What, what, what how come you're all somber and he said I was just sitting there in that meeting and I said to myself what organization in the world could have 86 board of directors 60% of them or more are lawyers and we have complete unanimity <laughs> yeah yeah I don't I don't even agree with myself most days when I show up I have at least two opinions I don't have <laughs> I am impressed that everything in the gospel, everything in life, is a similitude to the Savior and what he went through. That if we only look in our meetings, in the temple, in nature, everything looks to the Savior. We just need to open our eyes. And how do we know that this is a church that is the church? I know not, other than the Holy Ghost has told me. Yeah, yeah good thoughts. Great thoughts. Any other thoughts for return? Oh, over here. Yeah, I'm okay. Um, William brought up the Trinity, and I have a quick question. Okay. Um, I was inviting a couple that wasn't Mormon to the, the wonderful fireside we had last Thursday. And and they, or he said to me, are you a Christian? And I remember hearing uh, a conversation, how that connects and how the, the, the Trinity and, and uh, well, I was brought up Anglican, mm -hmm. Episcopalian, mm -hmm. and uh, they believed in the Trinity. And, um, but how does that connect to, are you a Christian? Then I've heard that argued that we're not Christians because we believe in three separate beings. Yeah, I, I think that's a big question. And I think um, what we call our polemics. Uh, polemic is you know the differences between two very similar things like uh, Anglicanism and uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Catholicism and Evangelical or whatever group. So they're very similar. So just to be clear, 
um, our brothers and sisters of other Christian faiths and other faiths, Christianity is probably 90 plus percent the same, right? And I can say that pretty good going to the evangelical school, you would be surprised at how similar most things are. There are some key doctrines that are different, um, and one of them is we believe in the Godhead and they believe in the Trinity. And so sometimes they think, well, that's a different Jesus, that the Jesus you're describing isn't the one we, they might believe in with some differences. But they're usually kind of academic, is what I found. Um, things that only me and the weird academic group kind of geek out on, for the most part, our practice of following the Savior and his commandments and loving others and giving and sacrificing and uh, being kind to our neighbors are all the same and they believe those too. So a lot of times what they're asking is, are you part of the general Christianity that is not LDS? But it, sometimes it's just a definition. So don't get trapped in it, don't get worried about it, but you'd say, yes, I believe in Christ, I follow him. Your slight differences, you would probably have a hard time explaining to each other. Um, I, I have one story and then we'll actually get to listen. So the dean of my uh, university called me a few months ago about this same question. And I applied to do the Master of Divinity program, and he said, you can't do it. We won't accept you. He was nice, but he was calling to refuse me. And I said, well, why, why couldn't I do it? And he said, because the Master of Divinity is when you're done, you get done and you're a, you're a preacher, you're a pastor, you're a reverend, you're a priest, right? And you have to basically say there are articles of faith that you believe in them. And he says, now if I understand your religion does not believe in the Trinity, is that correct? Nope. And he says, so you can't come. I said, well, well, I don't want to just do the academic side. Like, I'm not going to be a pastor. And he says, we can't, we can't do it. We can't let you graduate with a Master's of Divinity from this school not believing in those things. So you're like, wow, that was, that was tough. So I can do the academic portion for another year. But at one point, even they're like, hey, you can't graduate as a pastor from our school that says that's what we believe in if you don't believe in that. And uh, so it's still out there. But I would just, <laughs> I would just, we have a lot more in common than we do um, different. And sometimes it's easy to kind of pick each other apart. Um, but don't fall prey to that. We, man, I, I, I love my little evangelical school and then we, we actually get along really well and we have a lot more in common. We have a lot more in common. Well, I, I, and I said, all, all along, I said, well, listen to the title of our, yeah. our church. We're the Church of Jesus Christ. Why would you ask me if I'm a person if I'm not? But then I was just really a different. It's just a different definition. It's just a different definition, and you can get kind of stuck in it. And sometimes they've been taught that from someone to make us different. I think we have more in common. Yes, we're Christian. I'm a card-carrying Christian, and I follow Jesus, right? I, so we have different beliefs, but I'm guessing we're, we're on the same uh, general path, so not to worry about it. Hopefully, I hope that helps. Is that correct? That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Any other opinions? Uh, John, have a thought in the back. If this doesn't work, oh, what is working. Okay, great. Um, the thing is, is that you need to look at the history of uh, early Christianity. And that's very interesting. Is that you look at what is called the Anti-Nicene Fathers. And then you had the Council of Nicaea where Emperor Constantine, Constantine uh, convened a Council of Bishops at Nicaea, which is in present day Turkey. And he said, I want, to use, I want to make Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire to kind of send the Roman Empire together because even then it was beginning to fall apart. And he said uh, that I want you to come out with one unified orthodox belief. And so there was a debate among all of these different bishops from all over the Roman Empire on what should be the one common belief. Now notice, so it turned into a great debating society, and they didn't, at that time, really seek out revelation from God our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
And at that time, uh, the church that came out of it was more or less a political creation. It was not a divine church. And so, and in fact, you look at the anti-Nicene fathers and the Christianity that was taught prior to that time, the Council of Nicene, is far different from what happened afterwards. If you want to kind of have, have the, uh, there is a, uh, you can look up the, uh, the anti-Nicene box, about a nine volume series of books, rather large, but then there's a condensed version called the Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs. This kind of condenses that down. And when you look at that Dictionary of Early Christian Beliefs, guess what one of the topics is? Baptism for the dead. Now this book was compiled by a person who was not a Latter-day Saint. It's very interesting to use that term, baptism for the dead. Where have you heard that before? And the, and the simple thing is, is that there is really no proof of the triune uh, God in the New Testament. And again, it's just a, uh, just a result of the Council of Nicaea and was an Athanasian, well, you probably know more about this going to that evangelical school. Athanasian Creed. I do. Or the Apostles. I do. I know one about it. And so. Oh, I'm going to stop you because well, I want to change gears. Because if we want to yeah. talk afterwards, we can geek yeah. out on third and fourth century Christianity, and it would be John and I, and maybe one of you for 10 minutes. But um, he's, he, yeah, good points. There's a lot of difference um, in those periods of time. Um, some of the things, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Some of the things they argue and would kill each other for are things that we would have a hard time explaining today and nobody believes today. So in that time where they were trying to learn what the church was and they didn't have uh, the gospel, um, it was a struggle and uh, they tried to do what they did. But some of the concepts are super weird and we don't even recognize them today. And just like we argue about points today with other uh, uh, denominations, they're probably not things that are that important. What is important is what we're going to study today. So should we change gears? Yes. Uh, okay. One, one comment. Oh. Uh, and that is, uh, there have been several comments made, but to me, the, the, it boils down to being one in purpose in God, our Savior, and the Holy Ghost. And so... And then all of us being one in purpose for the same reason yeah. that they are. Yeah, yeah. So let's, that's a good segue, Val. So through the Gospels, we've learned about Jesus Christ. And remember, there was this, these prophecies, whether it was Ezekiel or Second uh, uh, Samuel or whatever, that says there are a couple things that were prophesied in Je before Jesus' time that, one, a Messiah would come. Someone who would make things right, would give justice and peace and prosperity to his people. Then there was also a prophecy that a king would come. Right? They're not necessarily the same person all the time, it's, or it's unclear, but the king would come and he would establish uh, Israel and the kingship of David. And they had grown up in these thousands of years very turbulent times in the whole Old Testament, right? Three quarters of the scriptures in the Bible are the Old Testament. And in those stories, it's turbulent times. So there's this hope, right? Jesus shows up on the scene, and they're probably thinking more of David. He's going to conquer his enemies. Joshua. He's going to conquer his enemies. Moses. He's going to drive out the bad guys, rescue us, right? This Messiah, this king is going to come. And when he comes, he says, hey, good news. I've got good news. I am teaching the gospel, right? The good news. And the good news is that the kingdom is here. What? I thought it was going to be milk and honey, and it would be all my enemies would be destroyed. And he says, yeah, if you want to be part of the kingdom, turn the other cheek. You want to be part of the kingdom? Love your neighbor. If you want to be part of the kingdom, take that Roman soldier that you hate, and he makes you carry his armor for a mile and carry it for two miles. And then you set it down and you say, I noticed you have a bad day. Hit you on the side of the face. I got some anger there. Do you want to hit me on the other face? Other side? Right? That's how we enter the Lord's kingdom. 
isn't this dominating driving out. It's we drive it out of ourselves. We become different, right? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Turn the other cheek. Don't sleep around. Quit stealing stuff. Forgive others. You're like, wow, that's crazy. Those are crazy thoughts. But the kingdom is here. And then there's a culmination. The culmination, we come to the atonement and the crucifixion. Now, last week we covered um, the Garden of Gethsemane. As, as Latter-day Saints, we tend to focus on that. And we tend to kind of say the cross and the crucifixion. Well, that was necessary, but you know, gruesome we might not. They go together, right? And there's a place for both. So we did that this week, and we have a whole lesson on the trial and crucifixion to say, as we enter the kingdom and we are invited, this is the last step that had to take place for that kingdom to come to pass, for Zion to be available to all of us, for us to really change and to say, I can turn the other cheek. I can forgive my neighbor. I can be forgiven. This is the step that had to take place. Ralph. Then I keep mentioning this, but in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Christ said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the Gospels. For I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And throughout our lesson with the four Gospels, you hear or read over and over and over again that it might be fulfilled that which was prophesied by the prophets yeah. when Jesus does something. And the thing that uh, makes you ponder is that uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ said, told the nine of them to stay in a certain place, and it was dark, it was night, and there was a little bit of light, but he asked Peter, James, and John to follow him further into the garden, and then he told them to be awake, and watch, and then he went on further and prayed, and then he returned and found that they were asleep. So he went back, and he reprimanded them, which is not Christ-like, and he went back and Obviously prayed again, and when he returned, they again were asleep. Now, to me, the important thing is that Christ knew that the Gospels would be written by Peter, James, and John, primarily, and yet they were asleep at a primary point when he was making, he was calling on his father and showing that he and the father were one in purpose. And it, it, this happened two or three times, and then finally he told him to, well, go ahead and sleep, because the hour has come. Yeah. But now, uh, something bothers me, I ponder. Okay. And that is this. Uh, if the ones that are going to report this were asleep, where did we get this information? Yeah. We don't know. And it yeah. dawns on me that only through the Holy Ghost would no. we get this answer. Yeah, yeah strong. Thanks, Ralph. Um, let's let's watch the video. Are you guys ready to change gears? Let's um let's watch the video. And it's uh, it's about five minutes, and it is uh, the uh, these are these are tough topics. I don't I don't want to focus on the gruesome nature of the crucifixion or the beating. The Gospels don't, it's necessary, but to explain how terrible crucifixion was, I don't think is the point, right? We want to understand the sacrifice and, and what happened, but we don't need to go into how terrible this um, Roman execution rack was. So, uh, Ron, let's do um, the Bible video. 
is a stride like I have this? Uh, no, it should be, it's the next one, I think it's the Jesus. Jesus is forged, crucified, and yeah. Yeah. Jesus is, is going to be up before time. Yeah, so the, I'm going to jump ahead. There, there are a couple of big events that we haven't studied, so if we don't get a chance, you know, we can't study all this, obviously, and we could geek out on one scripture forever, but there's the whole trial with the uh, Jewish leaders and with, there's kind of these four stories of blood guilt, I'll call it this. So you have the story of uh, Judas, you have the story of the Jewish leadership, you have the story of the people, and you have the story of Pilate group. And then you move to the uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. So those are kind of the two things in the lesson plan today, just kind of buckets. But I'm going to jump to the crucifixion. I I would talk all day on the other part, but just talking about the role of Pontius Pilate, I think it's probably more important to look at the Savior first. So let's start with that, and if we have time, we'll go back. Or you can talk to me afterwards, and we can talk about the other stuff.
Ron, would you put up the slide that doesn't have the words in it? Powerful stuff. Yes. When we were on our mission in the Philippines, we saw them oh. actually. Yeah, they will actually crucify them themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shannon, in the Philippines, they saw while they were on their mission, they'll reenact the, this event and they'll actually crucify themselves as an act of piety, right? I want to uh, witness that. Um, so that's, yeah, that is uh, bold. Um, I don't like to be outside of air conditioning, so you know I'm not really up for crucifixion. Um, I wanted to do something is that uh, we know that the sacrifice had to take place. It was the sacrifice of the lamb, right? And it was the death of the firstborn lamb of God that would eventually pay for the restitution of our sins. And so we witnessed that. Now there are a couple events they don't show in this video, they're in a different video, but Christ uh, suffered in Gethsemane, he was beaten by the chief priests, and then you saw the scourging and ultimate crucifixion. So pretty terrible events to, to uh, suffer those sacrifices uh, for us. Now, while Christ sacrificed, uh, none of us will really participate in the atonement like he would. He does ask us to take up our cross and we will and follow him. And so we know that we will suffer in this life as well. So while he's on the cross, we heard four of them, but uh, in Luke and John, there are a couple more, and there are seven things Christ says while he's on that cross. So when we come to our crosses in life, uh, I think there are things to be learned that while he was there, he was still teaching and loving and being an exemplar of this new gospel that new, the gospel that he had been teaching. He, you'll see that in these phrases. So I thought what we would do is go through a few of them as we have time and, and kind of see what we can learn from what Christ says while on the cross. Okay, so there were seven. And um, and so does anybody catch any? We'll see if we can name them. There's seven of them, which is an odd number to choose. But uh, anybody remember any of them? Yeah, Rob. Or, yeah, microphone's coming over. So the one that really strikes me is he sums up his whole mission when he says, forgive them. Forgive them. Good. Powerful, right? So they know not what they do. They know not what they do. Who did, who is he? Well, should we come back to them? Should we go through each one and then we'll pick a couple? Yeah. Strong. Well, good. That's one. Does anybody have, don't name them all. Just do one at a time. Let someone else have a chance. Someone else have another one? Forgive them, Father, for they... No, no,なんかやっていて。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、こうやってやってる。いや、でも、
It doesn't even work for you either. Yeah, go ahead. Tell me again. I thirst. I thirst. We don't. That's the only other one we don't see as well. Is I thirst. I thirst. Um, any thoughts, or should we come back? To, we'll come back to them. Okay. So we have. Um, uh, uh, forgive them, for they know what that they do. I thirst. Uh, behold thy mother. Behold thy son. Um, why have thou forgiven me? And what else? I commend my soul to thee. Yeah, and it is finished. It's finished. When he says it is finished, then uh, and like what that means, his mission on earth is complete. Yeah. And he told these disciples that uh, at the last supper, then the next meal that he would have with them would not be in this world. Yeah. And so it was toward the end, but uh, he had completed his fulfillment, mm -hmm. and so there was no more reason for blood sacrifice. Good, good. Let's um, thank you. Let's uh, let's go. So, uh, so they're here. Father, forgive them for the note that verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. My God, my God. Mama Sabachthani, why have thou forsaken me? I thirst. Oh, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I forgot that one. And it is finished. Now, I think that there is a lesson, an application for each of us in this. Not only to see how Christ is the ultimate sacrifice in the Lamb, but also when we take up our cross and follow him, what is he teaching us as his disciples? Even, even now, he's teaching so, um, does anybody have a favorite? We'll just pick a couple. Does anybody have a favorite? Um, I, I'm going to pick the third one. They're not necessarily in order, so you can pick another one, but I'll pick the third one, and then uh, you guys can pick the next one. But it's woman. Um, it was Gail's example. Woman, behold thy son, and then behold thy mother. And remember, he's talking uh, there at the crucifixion is his mother, is Mary. And then what looks like John uh, witnessing it. And why, why, what is he telling John to do? What is he telling Mary to do? What do you think he means here? Take care, Take care of each other. Why? Why? Mary had other kids. What about the other kids? Mary, you know, I don't, why, why? I don't know the answer. I'm just asking the question. Uh, yes, Chris. The microphones are a mystery. No, you got to just leave them on. Okay, one, two. You got to wait for more. There we go. Um, Christ was the firstborn son, and as the firstborn son, whether you were looked at this as he was Joseph's son or God's son, in in view of the Jews, he was the firstborn, and it was his responsibility to take care of his mother. The rest of the kids, if they did anything for Mary, great, that's a bonus yeah. to her, but it was the firstborn son's responsibility to take care of mother. Yeah, um, great. You know too that law of primogenitor, right? They got a second portion, they got more inheritance for the father, from their father, and it was said that they were supposed to take care of their mother, take care of any unwed sisters, because in this society they were unable to care for themselves like we can today as women. And also, if anybody in their family was sold, sold into slavery to pay off a debt, they had to redeem them. Their job was to redeem their brothers and sisters who were in bondage. And so a great example of him serving, reminding us of our earthly responsibilities, but also the heavenly responsibility he has as our elder brother. Behold thy mother. Behold thy son. Yeah, and then, wait, not John, and then figure it out. You know, another thing you got to remember at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, not all of uh, not all of Mary's uh, sons and daughters believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It was only later on yeah. that they all the, 
you know, when they supported uh, Jesus Christ, their elder brother. Yeah, that's as correct. The Messiah. So basically, I think Jesus wanted to be sure. And of course, Mary believed that he was the Messiah, probably from the get go. Uh, obviously, he believed the scriptures. So uh, he wanted also, also because of the laws of primogeniture, like you said, but also he wanted to be sure that, that his mother was taken care of by those who, you know, who were the believers, believers. who were his disciples. Good, good. And John, he knew his heart. Yeah. And he knew that he would look after his mother and take care of her. And like he said, though, um, he wanted her to be able to, to continue doing what he, she was doing before with them. Yeah, as uh, being a follower. Right. Brothers and sisters, one of the parts that struck me so strongly this week in studying this part was that even while in the greatest suffering and greatest agony, he was thinking about someone else. Right? And she's still very young. Yes, very young, right? Yeah, like 45-ish or something. So... I love that part of the story that, that there's so much packed in there that it's caring for others spiritually, caring for others temporally, and while he's suffering, he's still serving. He's still showing us what it means to be a disciple is to serve, even when we're suffering. Maybe one way to help ourselves when we suffer is to serve another. Right? He's showing us we're going to suffer, but don't forget to help others while that's happening. Gail. It tells me because he's saying what he's saying that Joseph is dead. Because somebody needs to look after Mary. Yeah. And he's not saying, Father, look after yeah. her. And I think that this is one of the reasons that John is called John the <coughs> Beloved. Because he was blood and because he took over Mary so willingly. Yeah, what a, a touching, <coughs> real story, right? Touching. Should we pick another? Yes, oh no, we can stay here. I was taken with that opening paragraph on the lesson about how, like what you said, even in his worst suffering, he still exemplified charity. And he uses the first Corinthians 13. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at every one of those statements and that's a part of charity. Right. And then it sums it up with, Charity is the pure love of Christ, and charity never fails. Right, it's the greatest of, of them all, right? Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, strong. Other thought, a lot of thoughts. Um, what? I'm going to pick I Thirst because it looks like an easy one. Oh, okay. Um, I can't comprehend what it's like to be crucified nails driven through me or I've never had a crown of thorns I've never been flogged I've been thirsty and I've been tired now the night before Christ didn't sleep and his apostles were so tired they couldn't stay awake and Christ stayed up all night and now we're into the next afternoon he hasn't had a wink and he's thirsty, and and he's dirty in the garden. He fell on his face, and it's dirty there. It, it's a pale dust, dust and he had blood coming out of every pore. So he had all this blood with dirt caked on it. I can I know what it's like to be dirty, mm -hmm. and to be tired, and to be thirsty. So I can comprehend this, and. thirst and it's only in John right it's only in John tells us this is remember that they would they give him to drink do you remember what they give him vinegar, vinegar. his last yeah. taste in his mouth is bitterness right so it just I'm not sure exactly everything we can glean out of that but for me is 
the world can be harsh and bitter, and we will face that. And yet, in the midst of that, um, God, the creator himself on the cross, is doing this for us. This isn't just, well, this was easy. This bitterness, this pain is real. And he sacrificed that really for us. Um, but it was on the same, we thirst, right? And then they gave him bitterness, the last uh, taste. Um, uh, yeah, any other thoughts there? That's, um, that's an odd one, but I think Will has summed it up really well. So thank you, Will, yeah. the touching. Good, good synopsis. Okay, so let's do, um, I want to do one other. Do we have time? Okay. Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I know we've heard God had to maybe step away, right? There's a great quote from uh, Jeffrey Holland who says it best. Ron, do you have that on that bottom of that email? Didn't come through. Um, I didn't. I tried to cut and paste it, but I don't. I left it in the car. Um, but he basically says, I don't think God ever left his son alone. He was the closest. But for a moment, he had to withdraw his spirit so that the sacrifice was complete for Jesus, that he had done it completely on his own with you know, help. But the Lord, of course, or the Father had been with him except for a brief moment. So I think we know that one, right? Powerful. Let's turn to uh, Psalms 22. It's, this is almost a direct quote from Psalms 22. Um, I wonder if when Christ was suffering, if he didn't turn to comfort and things that he had studied, hymns and scriptures to get him through those moments. And Psalm 22 goes this way, see if it sounds familiar. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest me not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And then it goes on, it's quite long. All the ends of the, of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. Verse 27. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor of all the nations. Last, last verse. They shall come, and they shall declare his righteousness unto his people that shall be born that he hath done this. I wonder if he's recalling this exact hymn. Why have thou forsaken me? And yet all of it will be turned right. From this event, the nations will come, the sacrifice will be complete, and God will be victorious. Okay? I think he is. I think he's quoting this hymn and saying, this bitterness will be turned to glory. This sacrifice is for the good of all and will pay off in the long run. Oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that I can redeem my brothers and sisters. <coughs> what song was that? Psalm 22. So it starts a little negative, but it really gets to this amazing place of God's redemption for his people. I don't know if it is, but it feels it feels like that to me. So if you haven't looked at Psalm 22, it is worth noting in your scriptures with the scripture, it's an exact quote. So maybe, maybe during our sufferings, we remember that it is for our good and Christ suffered along with us. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah. It goes back to the second one, uh, and you can read it better than I can. The, back here. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But with that, with that in mind, uh, we have suffering from time to time, but not like our Savior did. 
and yet it's, it's sometimes it feels and it hurts and yet if we hold fast we will be able to be, have the reward of being a part of that uh, grand forever yeah i love i love the last one it is finished even his sufferings and like ours have an end we endure to the end and one day we'll be able to say it is finished right it is finished and be able to leave that behind because of this great sacrifice because of the great sacrifice uh, did you have a comment well uh, i don't think I don't think he was quoting Psalms 22. I think Psalms 22 is quoting him. Ah, touche. I will give you that one. I'll give you that one. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I am grateful for the sacrifice of the Savior. I am always so astounded by his love, by his ability to teach and use every moment of his life and sacrifice to teach us how to become one with the Father, how to become better disciples, how to understand the good news of the gospel. The Lord loves us, and that is my testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen.